to the Justice and War in American History podcast. I'm Jason Kelly. And I'm Ray Haberski. War has long been an indelible part of America's story, shaping national identity, values, and principles. The experience of war has transformed the lives of each generation. And because of this, it has historically elicited impassioned debates and conflicting perspectives. This podcast aims to explore this history by bringing together a diverse range of voices, veterans, active service members, citizens, and scholars. Through our conversations, we will consider the ways in which war has shaped and reshaped notions of justice. In the process, we will engage with broad themes such as duty, heroism, suffering, loyalty, and patriotism. Our broad framework during this season is to compare and contrast the histories of the Spanish-American, Philippine-American, and Vietnam Wars, wars that had a profound effect on the people of the United States. The National Endowment for the Humanities has generously provided funding for this project, making it possible to have conversations about the effects of war on American veterans, their families, and the generations who bear witness to conflict. Welcome back to another episode of the Justice and War in American History podcast. Today, we're talking about Mark Twain's war prayer and other critiques of the Spanish-American and Philippine-American wars. Right. In this episode, I had a chance to talk to uh, some recurring guests on the podcast. And what we did was uh, a, a little bit different than in uh, some of the other episodes. This one really focused in on, on how... Americans uh, in the time of war critiqued the war that people were fighting in, killing in, and dying in. And we focused primarily on Mark Twain's War Prayer, which was uh, an essay that he wrote but didn't publish until after his death because he thought it would be uh, too dangerous in many ways for his family and for his own livelihood. But that gives you an indication of how important war and war narratives have been, especially in a time of war, to, American, uh, to the American public, and Twain was really concerned, uh, in, in this case especially, because his war prayer, as it sounds, mixed religion, patriotism, and war. And so I think the podcast is, is really quite interesting for, uh, as, as sort of like a touchstone for many of the other debates and discussions uh, Americans have had, really going back to the very beginning of, of American wars, right up through the present. Yeah, and uh, if you want to read the War Prayer, we have this on our website at justiceandwarseminar.org, or uh, you can link to it through the information associated with this podcast in your podcast app. All right. Uh, welcome, listeners, to an episode that uh, I'm really looking forward to. It's on um, sort of critiques of Americans, America's involvement in wars, and, and more specifically sort of the morality and the language of war. And we're going to launch into a discussion about that through Mark Twain's very famous, somewhat notorious, essay called The War Prayer. But before we get to that, I want our guests to introduce themselves. So, Jordan, how would you go first? Sure. My name is Jordan Hansen. I'm currently a student here at IUPUI, uh, studying history and secondary education, hoping to get into academia in some capacity. Uh, I served in the Army for five years as a 31 Bravo military police officer. I was a... Um, I'm a member of a riot team, did search and rescue, a few different things. And then I moved over to the Air National Guard, uh, where I serve similar capacity as a security forces officer. So same job, just different title. Very good. Okay. Jennifer, how about you? Uh, what's up? I'm Jennifer Manning. I am currently also a senior here at IUPUI doing secondary social studies education. Uh, I am a 10-year veteran of the Army, uh, also a 31 Bravo military police officer. So we represent today. 
Um, I have done combat deployment to Afghanistan during 2009-2010. I've also held most jobs and capacity in the military all the way up to drill sergeant. So, uh, yeah, great to be here. All right. Good. So one of the things that is kind of nice about the fact that both of you want to be teachers is that the thing that we're using today, the device, this, this, the war prayer from Mark Twain, is something that I use as a teacher You know, here at IUPUI. And it's really effective because I think we all think we know who Mark Twain is. Um, he's one of the great satirists uh, of the 19th century. But he was also a, a writer who had um, a particular political position on war. And in the, during the Spanish-American War, there was a good deal of opposition early on to American involvement in it. It grew over time, especially as the United States expanded the war to the Philippines. Uh, Twain became one of the members of an anti-war league that was based primarily in the Northeast and Midwest. And he penned this essay called The War Prayer that, and, and you know, listeners can, can look this up and read much more about it because there's been a lot of good stuff written about it. Um, the War Prayer was not published during Twain's lifetime. He was so worried about the tone and the way that he uh, sort of melded together, wove together religion, a critique of religion and the role religion plays in patriotism and warmongering that he was worried um, it might actually affect his financial uh, status sure. and, and therefore, thereby affect his family. In any case, so the war prayer itself was not something that Twain had to respond to during his lifetime, but has become this sort of touchstone for many people who want to look back at uh, a certain sort of anti-war tradition, a certain type of critique about American involvement and, and war, but, in, but especially the language of, of pro-war America. So with, with that little introduction, right, uh, I'd like to give both of you a chance to tell me what you thought of the essay itself. Uh, now, you, you can tell me, you, know, you can tell listeners sort of generally what the, his, his uh, Twain sort of pitch is, you know, sort of the storyline. Uh, or you can you can riff off of it, whatever you want to do. Well, okay. Well, I guess I'll start it off then. Go ahead. Um, well, in the the war prayer, Twain starts off with you know these sons being marched off to war, and this uh, minister giving this prayer. You know, protect our soldiers, let them victory, and you know all this other stuff. And then this guy comes and says, "Let me take over." And then he says, "Now there are two different ways. There's the said prayer, which you guys have." just said and then there's the unsaid one which is while you're saying victory and all this other stuff you're saying kill these people and demolish their lands and take control of them and everything else and at the very end it says this guy's a lunatic right because he said he made no sense (laughs) but in a sense it does make sense because i mean what's war and victory on one side is chaos and destruction on the other that's just the way war is right absolutely Okay, Jordan. Yeah, and uh, I, completely echoing that, I think it's it's powerful because we see in the beginning that kind of use um, of religion. Of uh, we talked about it before, the um, I guess what is said and why it's said mm-hmm. um, to kind of lift these people up because they are getting ready to go off to the unknown and off to battle and you know right. this stuff. But right. there's this other truth that's there that yeah. we don't often talk about that's kind of underlying that. By winning, that means killing. By winning, that means that, you know, you survive over somebody else. And uh, this, this quote-unquote crazy man right. comes in speaking the truth. Right. And, you know, it's, it's powerful. Okay, so. Yeah, at the beginning of it, they talk, 
like they kept emphasizing patriotism, flag and country. There right. was so much like Americanism in like that first part of it, and then that guy just comes up and just tears it. Yeah, yeah so it's it, it's some ways it's a very simple story, right? It's simply a preacher giving sort of a benediction, right? Um, blessing soldiers before they go off to fight. And these soldiers, as you said, Jenny, right? They are the sons of the people of the congregation, you know? Um, that's the point, you know? And, and of course, if you have soldiers in your community, you want them to stay alive. Yeah, it's, right? not, it's not wrong by any means. The, right. The hope, hope and prayer right. for these people <laughs> right. to do well, but it's also you, you do have to think about that other piece of it. So just simply, just simply unpacking the simplicity of the story is sort of interesting, right? right? Yeah. Um, okay. Well, how do Americans deal with the stress uh, or the concern that they have for the soldiers in their community? They're going off to potentially die. They go to church, right? And they pray for the safety of their boys, that, again, makes perfect sense in many ways. And it's a great American tradition of, of invoking uh, God's name in almost any capacity, right? We do it in presidential elections. We do it for the beginning of, of Congress, you know, congressional sessions. We do it when we go off to war. Um, certainly, you know, George W. Bush, after 9-11, he went to the National Cathedral to give the address about what was going to happen next, Right. I mean, it's a fascinating moment to go to the National Cathedral to do this, right? To, again, to sort of invoke God's name or the blessing of some deity, you know, for the country with the intention, of course, that what is coming next is going to be pretty violent, right? So let me ask you this. Um, when the two of you were thinking about being shipped off, was there some sort of, um, I don't know, praying that you were involved in at all? Oh, yeah, for sure. I mean, you, you have that saying, uh, there's no atheist in foxholes. Right. No matter if you don't believe in something or not, the minute bullets start flying, you believe in something. So do you know who that who said that, where that comes from? Oh, it is. Um, you know, I actually looked it up the other day, and I completely forget. <laughs> I, I think it's Eisenhower. Okay. Yeah. yeah that timeline, that makes sense. Okay. And I, I agree. Like, I'm pretty agnostic, but the... Um, I think the moment that something is happening, you're kind of questioning your beliefs and, yeah. you know, where you stand in the grand scheme of things in the right. cosmos. So right. there definitely is that kind of religious bed. But also I think part of that, it's not dehumanizing, but I think when you get in the moment, you do have a little bit more like of a humanizing feeling just to tell a story. Um, I had a friend that he, I don't know the truth of this story to the, mm -hmm. you know, the whole truth, but he was in a conflict one-on-one -on -one with another person who was about the same age as him. He ended up taking his life. Um, mm -hmm. And then when they're after doing their report afterwards, they're, they're looking over, um, checking what they had on them in their vehicle. And he found a picture um, in his pocket that was his kids. And his kids were the same age as this guy's kids. And so it was just a very much like a, it's, n there's no, there is a right and wrong, but when, you can't say that when you're on the other side, you're, you wouldn't be doing the exact same thing. And this guy had a, you know, a yeah. spouse, assumingly, and then kids the same age. And it was almost exactly like this, right. my, my friend. So Yeah. Yeah. I mean, so one of the things that Twain tries to dredge up is that the other side is probably doing the same thing mm -hmm. in some sort of religious institution that you are doing at this moment, praying for the same sort of outcome. 
You know, I mean, it's, it's what Lincoln tried to say in his second inaugural, right? That both sides were praying to the same God. You know, neither one uh, could, you know, both could not be right at the same time, right? And one had to be wrong <laughs> in order for this, like, to work out in some way. And so what was God's role exactly in any of this? It, it wasn't actually to decide, right, the outcome, but it was to provide some sort of... Comfort. Yeah, yeah. And so tell me, what is that? What is that comfort? What is, what is the role that religion plays in going off to war or thinking about war or how a community prays well, when there's war? I mean, when you're going off to war, you know there's that possibility that you're not going to come back. Mm-hmm. Um, so kind of having some form of religion or something to comfort you makes you, you know, if I die, at least I'll be going somewhere kind mm-hmm. of thing. I'll be taken care of because, you know, uh, blessed are the peacemakers for they are, you know, the whole, you know, Bible reference there, mm-hmm. you know, we're, you know, considering ourselves peacemakers, you know, we're trying to fight to create peace, which is, you know, the weirdest, you know, oxymoron known to man kind of thing. But that, that, I mean, Twain but puts truth. that into the essay yeah. too, right? But it yeah. is truth, sadly. Yeah. So, you know, it's just having that religion kind of provides that, you know, if I do die, I'm going somewhere where I'll be taken care of for the okay. rest of my life kind of thing. Yeah. So I, because for me, I've always had this, you know, it's kind of weird as I was in a military and deployed and stuff like that. Mm-hmm. And I have this weird fear of death. Mm-hmm. It's just the weirdest thing, but I welcomed it if it came kind of mm-hmm. thing. So, because I knew that I was, you know, I'm a believer of Jesus and mm-hmm. all this other stuff. And I'm sure people with the same kind of different religions have yeah. their beliefs. Right. So right. I would assume probably something similar. Yeah. I, I want to say like, I'm, I'm amazed by the uniqueness, but it's not too unique. You see, I guess organized religion for, for the United States and the role that organized religion plays mm-hmm. in just every aspect of, of our existence. Um, because that on the home front there is that you know praying for our sons and our daughters and you know praying for our our warriors, uh, but then I think the military has done a really good job of. Uh, we have a pretty good history of like chaplains yeah. in the mm-hmm. battlefield yeah. that are there with you that are yep. kind of that um, guiding compass for you and and really I mean, uh, I can't say that I've ever been anywhere where we didn't have the opportunity to have that like chaplain with us mm-hmm. or mm-hmm. a person to turn to yeah. regardless of what our belief was. Yeah, no, for sure. We definitely always had a chaplain in the area um, during our deployment. That's for sure. Yeah. And so many television series, movies, if you want to uh, you, like evoke some sort of uh, sympathy for the, the, the warrior uh, and, and, prepare the viewers for what is coming next, which is going to be bad. You cut to a scene where some, somebody is leading a prayer. There, there's some service being held with a few soldiers. It, I mean, you can see it again and again and again in war movies. Mm-hmm. It's a trope. It's a theme. Why? Like, what, what does that do? Why, I mean, again, it's not for you who are fighting, right? It's for us who are watching. Yeah. It, what does it signal, do you think, uh, for us? Like we're fighting for the right thing. Okay. Or even then, like, you know, just that aura of protection, like that guardian angel behind us. Mm-hmm. Hey, keep us safe in battle, you know. Mm-hmm. Uh, like some St. Michael, you know, mm-hmm. defend us in battle. Yeah. So yeah. it's kind of like providing the the viewer, the person seeing us, that, you know, we've got God on our side. Okay. So yeah. they must not. I was okay. going to say, it's that underlying justification okay. that, that we're doing, that we're in the right. And 
it kind of goes back to that, like <laughs> history is written by the winner. Like when we're looking back at right. it, we can see like, all right, you know, God is on our side or however you want to phrase it. It's um, by depicting that it, it right. almost is like, hey, our, our troops were doing the right so, thing. So you're, you probably remember a little bit from uh, Fog of War about mm-hmm. McNamara, Robert mm-hmm. McNamara, right? So he was he worked uh, in the sort of strategic um, air command during World War II, strategic bombing, things like that. And he makes that really, I would say, um, pretty amazing statement in, in the documentary that if the United States had lost World War II, that he and others would have been tried as war criminals, right? Uh, now... <laughs> I can't imagine in that documentary and a film about McNamara cutting to a scene where McNamara is praying, <laughs> you know, about what decisions to make uh, about which cities to bomb or how many bombs to drop in a city. Right. It's just it's a different sort of it's a very di- that, that kind of disjunction, I think, is important because McNamara was he did play a role in the killing of thousands, probably tens of thousands of Japanese and Germans, but mostly Japanese at that point. Um, so what is it like that? The personalization, I think this is where Twain thought he would get into real trouble, right? Was that in his essay, um, his crazy guy intervenes in a very personal ceremony between uh, a preacher, a congregation, and the soldiers, mm-hmm. right? So, I mean, I don't know how you guys want to handle this, but we, as a society, I think, elevate, deify a little bit, soldiering the soldier we do and there's i mean not comparing that but going to like mcnamara the there is this removal of it's a difference if we're chastising or if we're looking at where he stands religiously versus if we're looking at the soldier and where they stand religiously because um they're so far removed he is making the decisions to do these things but he's not doing like (laughs) on the ground doing them Um, that's right so there there is that distinction it's it's powerful the um, the role that it can play in the individual. Did you and feel this at all though, Jordan? Do you got I mean, did you Jennifer Jordan, did you feel any of this when you were soldiers? That you felt that I mean, I listen, it is it is absolutely a theme in American popular culture. There have been, you know, books written about this idea of sort of like the the glorified soldier, the sort of angelic soldier, the the moral force of the country. Oh yeah, we talked. I mean, we talked about that the the episode on um, basically the declaration of war, like the uh, this, I guess, lifting up through that through the um, announcement of war and like right. our guys and, and giving them that kind of boost. It's mm-hmm. the same. It's the same thing here, where we're we're lifting them up individually and like making them something greater than. Okay. Um, through that, and I mean, I for for me when I decided to serve, it was very much like, I know a lot of people serve because of, you know, the, some of the benefits or whatever, but like my stepdad was in the army for 22 years yeah. and, and seeing him, it was like, I'm going to go do that. I'm going to serve. And, and it was this powerful thing for me that I like, um, I wanted to just give that sacrifice, whatever okay. that looked like. Yeah. And I, I yeah. think that relates back to what I talked about, about guilt before is that yeah. I like, I, I felt like there was more that I could have done, but at the same time, you know, I'm, I'm older now and yeah. like looking back on some of it, I think it's, I want to hold on to that. Okay. Yeah. The idea of sacrifice and guilt for a second. Okay. Jenny, what about you? I mean, well, I mean, going back to when I joined, uh, I mean, my grandfather was a Marine. My step grandfather was a Marine. My stepdad is a Mar- was a Marine. 
um, his father was an army guy. And, you know, so it was just kind of like that long line on one side of military. It's a lot of so, tradition. Yeah. And I was a junior in high school, had no idea what I was going to do. Saw a recruiter. He had a 4-H fair. And he's like, hey, you know what you're going to do when you graduate high school? I was like, I have no idea. And he's like, come join the army. I was like, that sounds good. Yeah. <laughs> but, I mean, as far as like almost glorifying, I mean, I can see that. Because, yeah. I mean, when we came home from R&R from Afghanistan, we came uh, first through uh, Atlanta Airport because you either stop at Atlanta or Dallas-Fort Worth. Yeah. I stopped at Atlanta, <laughs> and there were a bunch of USO people there and everything. And they're like, yeah, you guys are great and amazing. And yeah. I mean, even now, I talk on the phone to somebody, and they, you know, like, you know, uh, a company or something. Yep. They're like, so you're a veteran, right? And I'm yeah. like, yes, you know, because for something. They're and like, what do they you, say? Thank you for your service. That's right. Oh, always. <laughs> and I'm like, okay, thank you. This has been a real topic of study, believe it or not, by scholars right now is taking a look at what where that comes from, how often it's said, who says it, it, what they get out of it. I think it mostly comes from Vietnam because if you look at all the soldiers who came back from Vietnam, they got no recognition. They got hated on. They got called baby killers. They got Well, you know, I'm not saying over. I'm saying, like, there are these instances. I I don't know any of my friends who went to Afghanistan with me who came home and got called baby killers and got spit on. Okay. You know, it's kind of like that kind of thing. So I guess maybe that's where that thank you for your service might come from is they felt bad for treating Vietnam that way. I think that's why people are studying it. They're trying to figure out where it comes from and, and like, yeah, so why? Why do we keep saying it right now? The other part of it is the... um, It's also a volunteer service now. Well, it is. And the... It's all um, professional. How... I don't want to say how far removed the general public is, but when (laughs) when somebody says, like, I'm a veteran... What are you supposed to say? Like, what do you, what is the natural thing to say to that? And you're like, if yep. you have nothing else, that's an easy, yeah. you know, easy lob to throw in there. Yeah, I, I think, uh, of course, there, there's, there are a couple of other undercurrents in this, right? So the idea that it, it's also an easy pass for the rest of us who have never done anything like that to say thank you for your service. And uh, that, that gives me a pass. Not Then I don't have to ask, so how are you feeling these days, you know? Does the VA provide what it's supposed to? Do you have a well-paying job? Do you have a future that you feel good about? Anything like that? And, you know, there are a couple other things that uh, you all read for this particular episode. But there were groups of of people who have fought, you know, like, over time in American wars, right? African-American, the history of African-Americans fighting in American wars that got almost nothing out of it. Except, okay. you know, death. <laughs> you I was going to say, it was brought up in one of our readings, uh, protest, 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 yeah. where it talked about African-Americans going over because, you know, they're diminishing rights that even they don't have over here kind of thing. I mean, the Spanish-American War, the irony of that era is that it is one of the spikes in lynchings in U.S. history. At the same time that Americans are killing people in Cuba and the Philippines and black troops are over there doing that, we're a country that will not pass an anti-lynching law, mm-hmm. right? Yeah. And the, <laughs> the echoes continue because one of the other right. things that we watched was, you know, Vietnam soldiers coming home dealing with civil rights issues. Like, right. It, right. It, why is it continuing to happen and the echo seen throughout these conflicts in the U.S.? I mean, World War II, people coming home and not having the same VA rights, not having the same. I mean, it's just. Yeah, I, feel, I think <laughs> Twain, it, it, Twain was one of those guys who, you know, had used his his work as a mirror on all of the, the assumptions that Americans uh, don't test, you know, and, and seem to pass over. Um, obviously, he wrote a lot about race. Um, but he also, in, particularly in the war prayer, 
wrote about religion and uh, and the the ability of religion to sort of not just gloss over the problems with the United States, but actually rationalize them in a lot of ways, you know. And then other people have to pay the cost, right? Whatever <laughs> whatever is being justified or rationalized by religion, it then allows you know governments to send soldiers out to do things that. Uh, if you had maybe a different kind of conversation or you were forced to rationalize or justify it in another way, might not have happened, you know? Well, and then even the, I mean, some of the most religious were the ones that getting exemptions not to go or not to carry it. Absolutely. (laughs) Right. So the right religion does cut different ways. Yeah. Yeah. But not in, uh, (laughs) <laughs> not when you're praying for your soldiers to go well, out to, to They win. always say wars fought by poor men, not rich sons. So, I mean, yeah. if you look a lot of it, the very elite and very religious were able to get those exemptions. It's always the middle to lower class that got sent in. And even in Vietnam, a lot of African-Americans got drafted and thrown in. So, yeah. Yeah. And, uh, yeah, the, the role that, um, sort of the warts of, of American society, you know, they don't get, they don't get, um, removed right through the experience of war or uh whatever heroism is attributed to to the soldiers again the idea of elevating soldiers uh i love the story of pat tillman because of this you know Mm -hmm. i mean they really tried hard to make him into a saint after he was killed and his family wanted nothing to do with it you know they're like he wasn't religious do not use him as as somebody who you can justify either the you know, war in Afghanistan, the war in Iraq. He, he wasn't somebody that uh, believed that, you know, he was heaven sent or godly or whatever. You know? uh, and you see a lot of, you know, that, that grasping for that. It's so, like, it's it is just, so easy, right? Yeah. I mean, you, you want that, you want that combination, yeah. you know? Um, yeah. There's some really sort of famous uh, tropes that come out of world war two, you know, the, the three chaplains who go down on, um, was I think was a cruiser or a destroyer in World War II. They were the last sort of three to, to you know, they, they went down with the ship where they, they gave up their seats on life on lifeboats mm-hmm. for soldiers and they go down together, you know. Okay. That, right. Yeah. <laughs> the idea that clearly this is sacrifice. If they had taken the seats, they would have felt tremendous guilt because they weren't soldiers, right? And, and even some of the stuff you're saying, Jordan, that's right. Ra- I mean, a lot of that is re- sounds religious, you know, I mean, theology is rife with the idea of what guilt means, you know, throughout different types of faiths and things like that. And what sacrifice looks like and why is there sacrifice? And I mean, if, if there's anything that a soldier does that echoes the sort of Christian ide- identity with Jesus. It's sacrifice. Right. Yeah, right. Give it's, that giving, sacrifice. it's giving your life yeah. for other people. Yeah. Right. So they don't have to die. Yeah. yeah. I mean, it's fascinating. You know, and I imagine that you guys don't sit around talking about it, <laughs> right? In camp, no. <laughs> right? I was gonna say we normally don't talk about our own mortality and our own no. deaths when we uh, <laughs> when we're going to combat and stuff. Well, yeah. it's crazy because there is this like stoic movement of like thinking about death and thinking about uh-huh. it just from a more. I, I I saw this last deployment overseas uh-huh. much more. There's a lot more like pagan ideal like ideology and then um, like stoicism agnostic yeah. belief like just re- like remember you will die and this whole whole idea of um, it's not for some grander thing. I mean the some of my buddies that are really into Vikings were all about going to Valhalla, but <laughs> so I mean, there's that's, similarities. That's still there, a but. thing that's that's in the military. It's till Valhalla. Yeah. 
because that's where all the most the great warriors, the great yeah. warriors go. Oh. So I mean, uh, that's still a thing. Yeah, yeah, and uh, you know, it's hard for us to relate to that. So then we have to bring it back down. You know, all, all of us civilians who are God fearing have to try to figure out where to put you guys in our Christology or <laughs> our, the, our theology of fit, the nation. The prayer. Yeah, right. Exactly. Yeah. To figure out how to pray for you effectively that to help ourselves, yeah. right? Because whatever guilt you might have felt collectively, that's what the nation has, right? Um, yeah. Yeah. And the idea of sacrifice, whatever you think, you know, you were doing over there, I mean, you multiply it, you know, uh, by a lot. It, that's, that's often how it's filtered through uh, sort of the a popular mind in the United States. All these people who we don't know um, potentially sacrificing for things that we'll never do. Yeah. It's fascinating. All right. Anything else from the Twain essay that you guys want to talk about? All right. Oh, I, I think we beat that okay, that's good. All right. Well, yeah. Thanks again for for being part of this one, and uh, we'll catch you at another uh, episode. Thanks for listening to Justice and War in American History. Please stay tuned for our next episode, which you can find on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, Overcast, or through any of your favorite podcast providers. Please be sure to rate the podcast and to be in touch with us if you have any questions or feedback. You can find more information about this podcast and the broader Justice and War Project at justiceandwarseminar.org. If you are a veteran or concerned about a veteran who is experiencing a mental health crisis, there is 24-hour support through the U.S. Department of Veterans Affairs. Dial 988 and press 1 or text at 838255. More information on support from the VA, visit mentalhealth.va.gov. And, as always, special thanks to the National Endowment for the Humanities for making this project possible. Thank you.